Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Clint Arthur back with us after 10 years. The graduate of the Wharton Business School believes in simply going for it, living each day to the fullest, as well as believing in yourself. And especially if you are afraid, then you must. His book is called Wisdom of the Men. This is his latest work. It's a Pulitzer Prize nominated work. And Clint, welcome back. 10 years. Oh, it's so great to hear your voice and be back on the show again, George. Thanks so much for bringing me on. And by the way, what a treat in reading your book to turn to it and see a little coverage about our show and us and what we do. Thank you for that. Well, your show was so instrumental in this book because, you know, when I when I started out, I, I had this experience of living like I was going to die. You remember the last? I remember that. And, uh, you know, I was on your show three times, and it really launched that program. And uh, I lived as if I was going to be dying at the end of the year for many years. And a lot of people from this show, a lot of the listeners from this show, were joining me on that experience. So, you know, the Coast to Coast is, is part of my DNA and part of who I am today, and that's why I was very happy to include you and my experience on the show in the book. You know, and you know what's really fascinating is that you're one of the five Georges in the book. I, I'd say George <laughs> is, the, is the most special name. If you want to be a smart guy and be included in my book, Wisdom of the Men, I have you. I have George Clooney, George Bush, George Hamilton, and um, oh, there's one more George. George Ross. George Ross. Yes, Donald Trump's attorney, George Ross. So, you know, five Georges in this book, more than any other name. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm looking forward to this, by the way. And congratulations on the Pulitzer Prize nomination. Thank you. It's it's really exciting for me because, first of all, I I started out in in high school studying with a man named Frank McCourt. You may recall his book won the Pulitzer Prize in 1996. It was called Angela's Ashes. Yeah. And he became quite famous and rich, and all, all of it on the back of that book about his impoverished childhood in Ireland. And he inspired me and everyone at our high school. And it was a public high school in New York City called Stuyvesant High School. And so many people became writers because they were inspired by him. And a few years ago, I was, I was sitting down to write my list of goals for the decade. And, I, and when, I, when I put it in terms of a decade, I said to myself, I want to win the Pulitzer Prize by the end of this decade. And here I wrote this book. I've been preparing to write it for seven years. You know, you, you, it's been 10 years since I've been on this show. Seven of those years I've been getting ready to write this book. And, and here I am, nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and it's very, very exciting. And I'm crossing my fingers that they can, they can see that this book can help a lot of people. And hopefully we're going to help a lot of people tonight to prepare for the, the dangers and the vagaries and, you know, the uncertainty that is approaching all of us and encroaching on all of our lives here in America and around the world. Well, it, your timing is fantastic for this because you have talked about how so many people are simply afraid, and you take that as a challenge. And with COVID-19 and everything else these days, it's it's incredible, Clint. People are just afraid. Road rage is at an epidemic stage. Uh, just things are out of, out of whack, aren't they? People are very afraid. And 
You know, my experience with fear really begins when I was on the Today Show. And Brooke Shields interviewed me on that show. And she said, you know, Clint, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. And she said, that sounds scary. And I said, just, and, and this is the amazing thing. When you're on TV, when you're doing interviews like this, you're just so in the moment. Sometimes words come out of your mouth and you don't know where it comes from. And I said to her, when it's scary is when it's great. And I swear to God, George, every time I'm afraid, I'm doing something really, really great. And that fear, when you feel the fear, you know, first of all, most fear is unfounded. You know, you're, you right. see the shadow in the, in the room. It's the boogeyman. Then you turn the light on, and it's just a coat on a hanger in a closet. And that's why my favorite quote from George S. Patton, the man who won World War II for the free world, he said, accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. And that's where fear comes in, because most fear is unfounded. Most fear is all in your head. And it's about, it's about stuff that's not going to happen. And that's why when you confront the fear and you triumph over the fear, then you have the opportunity to feel the exhilaration of victory. And that's how you really come alive. Now, you know, I, I have experienced fear myself during COVID as well. My wife and I, we went down to Acapulco for the quarantine. You know, we, we're, we've been living in New York City in midtown Manhattan. And uh, I said to my wife, when we were on a speaking tour, when, when they announced the 15 days to slow the spread, I said, all right, honey, do you want to go back to, to our apartment in midtown Manhattan on the 13th floor? Do you want to go out to our loft? We have a loft in Los Angeles. Do you want to rent a house in Arizona or Florida? Or should we hop on a, on a jet and go down to Acapulco Bay and stay at our favorite hotel and make a vacation out of this two weeks to slow the spread turned into four and a half months in Acapulco. And we had previously been afraid of the crime down there. It doesn't seem dangerous to me. It seems perfectly safe. And uh, when we moved out of that hotel, because we wanted to experience living in a, in a villa, I rented a villa for us down there off Airbnb and we moved in and I was so afraid to move into that villa. If I could have canceled it the night before, I would have. I was freaking out. You know, what are we going to do? It, this, the place didn't even have a front door. It had an outdoor living room and an outdoor dining room. People could just walk right in. There's no security. I thought about buying a gun. And you can't buy a gun. You can't own a gun in Mexico. I was really afraid. And I'll tell you what, when we walked into that villa for the first day, my wife and I just looked at each other and we were like, what took us so long to leave that damn hotel and go into a, a beautiful villa? Because our life has just been getting better and better and better. So I do understand about fear. And I, I have learned, and, and you'll hear, you know, I'm going to be telling stories all night long. Everything I do is about stories these days. And, you know, a lot of these stories are going to be talking about impossible, scary situations. And every time I feel afraid, I get excited because I know it's going to be great. And one of those scary stories, Clint, and I'd like you to tell us about it, was in October of 2017 when that idiot went nuts shooting people from the Mandalay Bay, killing 60 people, and he died himself. 
I was in Vegas that night with a bunch of my friends and clients, and we were there to meet Mike Tyson. First, we went to his show at the MGM Grand. And he, you know, Mike Tyson is an incredible champion, and, and he's come through so much adversity. Yes, he has. And, and, you know, when we saw him, he had just been riding on his little kid's scooter and fell off the scooter and injured his back. And that's why he says he was smoking so much weed to control the pain. <laughs> and, and <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, we were supposed to meet him after the show and get photographs with him. And when the show ended, the manager of the club came out and said, ladies and gentlemen, there's a live shooter right now on the strip. And we just need everybody to stay put right where you are. This is going to be the safest place for you. Now, here I am. I'm sitting in a basement nightclub at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. You know, if somebody came in there with a gun, they could have killed all of us. Sure. You know, we were trapped like roaches in there. And I'm thinking, what should we do? What should we do? We sat tight until they said, okay, it's yeah. like half an hour later. They said, okay, if you want to leave, you can leave. The strip is closed. There's still maybe action going on on the strip. We don't know. But if you want to leave, you can leave. Now, I've been working in Las Vegas for a long, long time. By that point, I've been working there about 12 years as a distributor of gourmet food. That's That was like my day job before I got into all this stuff I've been doing. And I know Las Vegas like the back of my hand. And I said to my wife and my friends, I said, follow me. I'm going to lead us out of here. I know a back way out into the into the self-parking area, and then we're going to get out of here. And I led everybody through the mazes, through the back alleys, out into the self-parking, out towards Colval Lane. Then we walked down to the Hard Rock, and we had milkshakes and hamburgers until the shooting situation was ended. And they said you could return to your hotel rooms in uh, in uh, on the strip. And I was staying in Aria that night. And, you know, I, it was a few months later that I was able to finally meet Mike Tyson after that was all done. And I said, Champ, what's the most important thing you ever learned? And he said, stay humble. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. And that's exactly how he said it. Stay humble. And there was no pause. There was no hesitation. Here's a guy who has won how many fights and countless fights he's had so much money he's been heralded around the world and he's taken a fall from that he's been in movies he's reinventing himself and his advice is to stay humble and i i will repeat that advice from other champions as well throughout this night and uh i i think that that shooter thing when when you got a person raining down bullets and causing pandemonium in a whole city it, it really forces you to realize how small each of us really is, how yeah. fragile life really is, and how important it is for us to truly remain humble. Uh, absolutely. Could you hear the shooting, the shots? I didn't hear any. I didn't hear any shots. But you know, we had walked. We had walked by that area. You know, earlier that night. I mean. It, you you weren't far at the MGM Grand. You're very close to Mandalay Bay, and you know there, there's a there was blood on the street the next day. 
It's, it's, Blood yeah. on the streets. I remember being in Vegas a couple months later, and they had uh, flowers put out over the place and everything else. It was just a sad, sad situation. Yeah, and they, they never really solved that situation. They never really let us in on what it was all about or who it was. It just kind of faded away, didn't it, George? Yeah, but they didn't explain much about him. They said he was a gambler and that, you know, Stephen Paddock was his name, but they didn't explain the motive. And and how did he get all those weapons up to his room? Yeah, a lot of mysteries. Conspiracies. What's the difference between a conspiracy theory and truth these days, right? Yeah, it's fine line, fine line. Six months. Now, we talk about destiny. In your opinion, what is destiny? What does that mean? Oh, man. I believe that there is a purpose for each of us. And I really believe it's up to each of us to discover the purpose, to discover the meaning, and what it's really all about. There's, there's two main purposes, uh, two main jobs of a man. Number one is to deepen your character. As you get older, to just become a more solid man with a more mature character. The other purpose of life for a man, I believe, is to figure out what the heck is really going on. What, what is your life really all about? What is your destiny really all about? Do you have a destiny? You, you know, I've met a lot of great people. In, in this book, Wisdom of the Men, I write about five presidents of the United States that I've met. And... When you meet giants, I call them unicorns, people who stand out in the world where everybody knows who they are. A lot of them, I ask this question, did you know? Did you know that you were going to be Martha Stewart when you were growing up? And she said, oh, heck no, I had no idea. Did you know that you were going to be iced tea when you were growing up? He's like, oh, no, I was just a, I was just a gangster, you know? Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't know he was going to become who he was. Did you know you were going to be Caitlyn Jenner when you were growing up? And uh, she, Caitlyn, Bruce Jenner, no, she didn't really know she was going to become Caitlyn Jenner. And a lot of these people, they become who they become just because that's their destiny. And I think that by analyzing the stories of your life, which is one of the reasons why I'm so into storytelling, by looking at the stories of your own life, it helps you to understand what your life is really all about, what your purpose is all about, and maybe even to figure out what your destiny is. And once we decide what it is, can we manipulate it to get to where we want to be? All these people you just mentioned that did not know the greatness that was going to be before them, but could they have planned that? Or did they stumble into it accidentally? You know, when I first met you in 2010, I, I had transformed my life because I, I came out to Los Angeles, California, uh, after I had an interesting conversation with my mother. You know, I, I had graduated from the Wharton Business School, and I came home to get the attaboys, and I said, and, I, and what happens? My parents get into the hugest argument of all time. My dad storms out of the house, slams the door. I'm sitting on the couch, and I turn to my mom, and I say, you know, Mom, the way he resents you all these years, have you been cheating on Dad? Oh, my God, you asked your mother that? I literally did, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what kind of rude son of a gun asks his mother a question like that? That's the rudest thing I've ever said. And then I'm thinking, where did that idea even come from? I've never even thought about that in my entire life. 
And then I'm thinking, why ain't she answering the question? And then she says, he's not your real father. Your real father was a doctor at the fertility clinic we went to for oh, six years. And this is the first time you're hearing that? When I was in my mid-twenties. Jeez. And you look just like him. Now imagine how you would feel if everything you thought you knew about who you were, poof. Not only didn't I know who I was anymore, I sure as heck didn't I know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore. So I called the investment bank on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center. That was truly ground zero on 9-11 and said to the vice president, thank you, sir. I appreciate the offer. I decided I don't want to be an investment banker anymore. And what did I do? Naturally, I move out to Hollywood and I start going auditions, writing screenplays. Most people go to Hollywood to lose themselves. I actually came out to Hollywood to find myself. To find yourself. That's right. And I found myself becoming a very special person. I became the Wharton taxi driver. I drove a taxi in Los Angeles for six years. (laughs) <laughs> which took me through to December 31st, 1999. And this is before Uber, that's for sure. That's 100% for sure. These are this is the days of yellow cab when you get radio calls. And I was driving some two young guys in the back of my cab to a party on New Year's Eve. Now, were you getting your Y2K cash out of an ATM that night? Were you partying with family and friends? I was behind the wheel of yellow cab number 6087. And in the back of my cab were these guys, and they were MBA interns at Goldman Sachs. I'm listening in on their conversation. (laughs) And they go, go, did you hear about Mr. Carrera? They made him the last partner right before the Goldman IPO, and he cashed out a gazillion dollars. And I turn around, I go, hey, you guys talking about Chris Carrera? How do you know Mr. Carrera? Chris Carrera was a pledge in my fraternity, George. When I was the pledge master, I used to make those little punks dance around the living room of the house with their tidy whities on top of their heads. And now this kid cashed out a gazillion bucks. And that night I made $513 driving a taxi in Los Angeles. And it was the night that changed my life because I said, I cannot keep chasing the dream. I had chased that dream for 13 years. You know, I went to junior high school with Robert Downey Jr. and with John Cryer from Two and a Half Men. Yeah. And, you know, what, what was the difference between them and me? John Cryer was Conrad Birdie in Bye Bye Birdie in, t- in ninth grade. I was Conrad Birdie in 10th grade in, ju- in high school. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. was the star of the drama play. I was the star of the musical play when I played Tony in West Side Story. Why them and why not me? I tried everything to make that my destiny for 13 years, and I could not make it happen no matter how hard I banged my head up against that brick wall. And on New Year's Eve of the millennium, I said, that's it. I can't do it anymore. I can't keep chasing this dream. That's never going to be happening. And that's when I just tried to have a normal life. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.